Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Doug and Shahan back, and I'm about as excited for this pod, Shahan, as I have been for one that we've done in a while, because we're doing a draft, and it's more difficult than I thought. What we are doing here, dear listeners, we are drafting coaches that we would want to hire at good football program X with good support, a decent recruiting base and a competitive conference. You have a chance to make the playoff in the next five years. That's your task as the athletic director. I want this team to make the playoff in the next five years and I'm making a head coaching hire and I've got money to spend. Now you're not going to get Bill Belichick, right? Unless Bill Belichick's on your list. Maybe he is, Sean. I don't mean to put words not in your mouth. But it's open. It's not just current college head coaches. We are making the hire. So it can be current college assistants. It can be a guy you're luring from the NFL, maybe. Maybe an assistant in the NFL. Maybe a fired coach who's not currently employed by anybody. You're making the hire. Because, Shahan, before we get started, I will say – it is amazing how quickly all this stuff can change. I was researching some stuff, you know, sporting news, for instance, votes within their uh, group of college football writers for all the best coaches, one through 130 in college football. And going into last year, Dan Mullen was in the top 10, and now he's fired. And Ed Orgeron was in the top 20, and now he's fired. And then there are other guys who, within two years of being hired, they were a hot assistant, now they're a head coach, and now they're viewed as a top 10 guy. So, it is not crazy to me that you and I might have people on this list who are not head coaches, but who we legitimately think if we did hire them, they're one of the 10 best choices you could make because your reputation, it can take two years to earn it or burn it, man. And so I'm not worried about going off the board with some of our picks here. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Uh you know, obviously there's coaches that have been there. There are coaches who have built something. But I do think that one thing that is interesting is like you mentioned, we kind of want to be thinking about this from the perspective of a relatively generic program, right? Because, you know, how do you view Kirby Smart, right? Kirby Smart did something very specific at Georgia, right? Where he kind of locks down the state. That's probably not something that we're assuming that you can do somewhere else. Uh, what do you think about Ryan Day, right? Ryan Day obviously steps into a situation at Ohio State where you're a perennial winner, but he does elevate that program. How do you, how do you view that, right? So I think that there's a lot of ways to, to kind of approach this. And I'm definitely curious to see what your mindset was. And there's a lot of this. There's a lot of coaches who are doing a good job at good programs that I hesitated on hiring to wit to make the playoff in the next five years. It's like, well, you can win eight games where you are, but do I want to hire you? Do I want to shoot a little higher, even if it's riskier? And there's some potential here that this is not a list of the 20 best coaches because because I think you could think, uh, I think this guy's one of the, Kirk Ferentz is not on my list of 20. Kirk Ferentz has been a very good coach for a very long time, has won a lot of games at Iowa, and at times has peaked pretty high. I would not have him on my list of 20, though, because to me that's not what this is about. Age factors in a little, not age, experience, right? It's almost like experience in some ways can be a negative in something like this because I know who you are, and sometimes my instinct is to take the people I don't know exactly who you are. There might be an upside that has not yet been revealed. So I, I, I found there was... A lot of coaches in that group, Shahan, of, hey, you're good, but I don't think I'd hire you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and 
it's so tough, right? Because like how I, I think that like Mark Stoops is a really interesting one, for example, right? Somebody who who's on one of the best contracts in college football, who's consistently uh, excelled everywhere that he's been. But like like you said, it's making the college football playoff with another program. It's hard to project that kind of thing. I mean, even even uh, you know, obviously, I think that somebody who might be on one of our lists is Luke Fickle. How do you project him moving from a situation where you're you're kind of going against an easier path? How do you compare that then to if you're thrown into the Big Ten or SEC or whatever, right? I mean, it's just such a hard comparison. You have to look for some recruiting acumen with these coaches because you have to recruit at a high level. And it's one of those things that's like, I don't know. Would I hire Luke Fickle to make the playoff for the next five years? It's like, he just made the playoff. But yet, like, he's not in my top four. So I do. So no offense. We'd like to preface this by saying no offense to anybody. <laughs> what what do we know? Please do not email. Well, you can if you want. You can email the head coach of your favorite program and be like, oh, man, you were 19th. What an insult. <laughs> if you want to do that, that's fine. And then you can invite, ask that coach if they would like to be on the program. Shahan, I'll give you the first pick because you're the most handsome one. Uh, by the way, Nick Saban's off the board. This is the Nick Saban Memorial Draft because this is setting us up for the how many programs could Nick Saban make the playoff at within a five-year period. We're going to lean into that premise all offseason. So no Nick Saban. We know he'd be number one. 93-year-old Nick Saban is number one because it's like, I think he can go to at least 98. I'll take that five-year run from 93 <laughs> to 98. So no Nick Saban. Who's your number one, Sean? Oh, man. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure to pick number one. A um, couple different directions uh, to consider here. But I think I'm just going to keep it simple. I think I'm going to go with Dabo Swinney. Uh Obviously, Clemson did not have the season that we thought that they might have this year. Uh, they took a big step back, but a big step back for Clemson is going 10 and three and still being really dang good. So I, I think that we're obviously assuming that they're, he's probably not coaching in the ACC at this point, but, uh, but I still think that even if he was coaching in another conference, if he was coaching another good program, he's recruited at a high level. I think that he builds a fantastic team culture. I think he builds a fantastic staff culture. I think that a lot of people want to coach with him. Um, and so I, I think that there's still a lot of reasons for optimism. And, and really when you look outside of Nick Saban, Davos, when he has been that guy in college football. He's also the top guy on my list because I think he, he gets a lot of credit in something like this for building something that it, he didn't inherit anything. And there's no reason, there's no reason that Clemson should be the second best program in college football. They, that is not a birthright for Clemson football. So I think he's the guy most people would pick here. And I do think in terms of thinking about this, I do think like almost like Notre Dame, maybe without the. Sure. All the tradition, but like you're an independent, you're a power. Have you gotten over the top? Not exactly. And again, Notre Dame hired Marcus Freeman because they weren't only thinking we've got to make the playoff for the next five years. But that's almost the kind of program that I'm thinking about. Like if if Notre Dame had hired Dabo Sweeney, I think we'd think Notre Dame would win a national title in the next five years. Right. I mean, I just I like that's the way. To th so I think he's the, I think he's pretty much the slam dunk number one pick here. I think there's a top group. It does not take very long to me to get to it could you could go anywhere i think our lists will diverge fairly quickly but i don't think it diverges yet and as and i think again you can turn and you can earn and burn your reputation in a year i'm going to take kirby smart because i do think he's been successful for a very long time and the only thing that would have held him back was can he get you over the top? And he just got him over the top with a preferred walk-on quarterback. And he's established 
uh, a style of defense uh, and a, a way of playing defense. He knows how to recruit defensive players. I think that travels with him. I don't think that is tied to Georgia, just like some coaches. Again, we talked about that. What travels with you? What is tied to the program? I think what Kirby Smart has done with travel, he's in a great spot, surrounded by talent with an opportunity to win, but then he won. There's lots of people with opportunities to win who don't win. So I don't, I don't, I think he's a pretty obvious number two behind Dabo. If you would have had somebody else, I'm not going to scream at you, but I couldn't get away from him. And I wasn't necessarily trying to get away from him. So I'll go Kirby two here. Man, I'm going to have to keep coming back to that podcast where you ranked him eighth, and now he's number two on your board. Look at that. Well, I'm trying. I keep saying, like, reputations can be earned and <laughs> lost in five minutes because I know that. I, I'm, I'm referencing my <laughs> own ability to evaluate coaches. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that this year definitely validated Kirby Smart in a lot of ways. Uh, and, I mean, it validated that he was doing the right thing the whole time. He just happened to play against the University of Alabama a couple of times. so. I think uh, I think that if your ceiling is, hey, sometimes you're going to lose to Nick Saban, I think you'll be okay. But uh, moving on to my next pick. Yes. I'm going to go, and again, I, I do think that actually we did sort of mess with the phrase a little bit, right? We we did go from winning a national championship to making the playoff within the next couple of years. And, and I do think that that makes a difference in some ways. And it makes this guy a no-brainer to me then, and that's Lincoln Riley. Uh, I think that Lincoln Riley obviously had a lot of success at Oklahoma, was a perennial playoff team. The fact that they didn't win the Big 12 this year was considered a a total disaster because that's just kind of where Oklahoma's at uh, under Lincoln Riley. And I think the other thing, too, is that I I think that we've seen since moving to USC – being somewhere new and, and hiring that guy sometimes creates a level of excitement that staying at a place doesn't, if that makes sense. So, I mean, when you, when you hire Lincoln Riley, that's a home run, right? Him being your coach is a big deal, but I think that getting somebody in there, the excitement obviously of going to USC, obviously USC, you know, being able to revitalize them. I mean, if, if we're assuming Notre Dame, imagine if Notre Dame hires Lincoln Riley, right? That would be the coup of all coups. And, and I think that, cause I think that one of the questions that you have to have about Lincoln Riley is whether he can hit that top level of recruiting, that like 1A tier. Well, I think that so far at Oklahoma, you know, when you look at how they finished out the 2022 class with the kids that they got, how they've gone into 2023 on both offense and defense, I've seen some optimism uh, from that perspective. So if you're asking me who's going to get me into the playoff, I, I think you have to feel really good about Lincoln Riley being somebody who's going to get you there. So I'll, I'll make my next pick because these guys always get talked about in combo. Yeah. And I'll pick Ryan Day. <laughs> I actually had Ryan Day third and Lincoln Riley fourth on my list. Um, Ryan Day has made a national championship game. Lincoln Riley has not. I do. We did sort of tweak it from win a title to make the playoff. But I do think the move for Lincoln Riley shows something because I'm, tr- I'm trying to think – if USC had hired Ryan Day, would there be as much excitement as there is around Lincoln Riley? And I think maybe Lincoln Riley just has a broader national reputation, maybe because of the Heismans for his quarterbacks, even though Ryan Day, I mean, Ryan Day made the playoffs in his first year, probably should have made the national championship game, made the national championship game in his second year, and then they missed it this year, but so did Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma exploded and Ohio State at least didn't explode. So like based on accomplishment, I I think you could argue that Ryan Day is ahead. Lincoln Riley's done it longer. 
But I don't, does Lincoln Riley have a little more cha-cha-cha to him that when you're making this hire as AT of good, uh, AD of good program X, you'd get a little more juice from the press conference. Yeah, I mean, I think that a big part of it is just that Lincoln Riley was the head coach at Oklahoma for five years, and we kind of have a little bit more of a track record with him, whereas Ryan Day, you know, this was kind of his first year truly outside of his predecessor, right? I mean, because when you include, obviously, Lincoln Riley as offensive coordinator, he's been at Oklahoma, he was at Oklahoma seven years, right? And and uh, Ryan Day's just been there such a shorter amount of time. And the other thing, too, is that I think that Ohio State is obviously Oklahoma is too, but I think that Ohio State is such a self-sustaining program that I think that people wonder what is Ohio State, what is Ryan Day, whereas I think that when Lincoln Riley came in, it completely was different, right? It was completely different than the Bob Stoops era. So is that fair? I, I think that certainly we can have that conversation, but I think that it's more that for Lincoln Riley, you can point to exactly what he brought, whereas for Ryan Day, you know, you can point to some of the passing concepts, but like Ohio State's was already an elite level program and you know it didn't go from being a completely defense program to a completely offense program per se yeah no and i think it, and that's a version of the ryan day lincoln riley argument that people have had many many times because there are so many similarities but i do think lincoln riley now going to a place like usc that is sort of on usc's peak is higher than oklahoma's peak recruiting base and sort of maybe mostly that but now i don't I think Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day are on equal footing now with their opportunity to win national titles and be dominant head coaches. And so I think we can start exactly comparing them. Like, I I don't know that we have to do anything more with Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day than say, well, who has the better team each year? Like give give Lincoln Riley like a year to get his recruiting under him stuff. And then after that, it's just like, when you have the debate, it's like, well, what's their record? since Lincoln Riley went to USC and like, that's your answer because I think we have to do some fewer ifs and buts as Ryan day gets further away from urban Meyer. And as Lincoln Riley goes to a place where he's got everything he needs to win. All right. We're going to do more fighting about our picks on next Tuesday's show, which is available only on Apple podcasts. That wasn't the intention. Well, not, we're not here to try to like tease you and do half a podcast and make you come back. But I have an eye doctor appointment, so we can't go for like <laughs> six hours on this pod. And we do have fights that we need to have, but we're going to limit some of the fighting now. We're going to make these these picks of 20 coaches. And then we'll come back next week and say, what was the dumbest thing we did? What was the smartest thing we did? We'll maybe get some interaction on our Twitter. You guys can follow us. Uh, um, just go on Twitter. It's like College Football Survivor Show. You'll find it. And and we'll we'll debate our picks a little more, but we're going to come back after this with pick number five. And I think this top four is pretty unassailable. I think we're now at the point where our paths may we may leave each other in the woods of college football. We'll be next. We'll be back next on the College Football Survivor Show. In case you missed the last college football survivor show. I think that Alabama and Ohio State are going to be just straight murders. Those two other spots are pretty open. I mean, if you're BYU, this is an opportunity. They're going to start playing in the Big 12 in 2023. And I'll tell you what, if they go in and they make the college football playoff and then enter the Big 12 the year after the other Big 12 team, Cincinnati, made the college football playoff, not a, not a bad way to position yourself to enter the new era of college football. This is a time for a team like NC State. This is it, man. You better be ready to jump now. The Pac-12 before USC gets rolling here. 
man, like Utah, this is the time, Utah. You were really good last year. If you want to jump and get in, this would be a time to do it. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. Doug Maurice, Shahan J. Haraja of CBS Sports. Shahan, pick five. Who is it? This is another one where I think that asking the question about playoff and changing it from national championship matters. I'm going to go with Brian Kelly. I think that because Notre Dame, I mean, funnily enough, we're hiring for Notre Dame, right? But uh, but I think that funnily enough, he gets underrated in some ways because we're not sure whether he can reach that top gear. And and maybe it's a Notre Dame issue. I think that certainly it looks a lot like a Ryan, oh, sorry, like a Brian Kelly issue. Um, and, and Marcus Freeman has come in and obviously supercharged that situation a little bit, which gives you some questions about, uh, sort of his recruiting upside. But I think that, I think that Brian Kelly gets over, uh, underlooked. Sorry, overlooked, underrated. That mixes up in my head. But uh, but I think that he gets kind of a little overlooked because he hasn't reached that top tier, because he hasn't won a national championship. Like, I think that he's on the list of coaches who would probably benefit most from winning a national championship just in terms of his reputation. Because I think that we understand what Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley, what they do. And I think that sometimes we don't realize that with Brian Kelly. You know, he's a culture setter. He hires a great staff. I, I think that he has a very cohesive vision for his teams. Um, we'll certainly get to see whether there's more upside because he's now the head coach at LSU and we'll see how that goes. But I think that Brian Kelly is one of those coaches who's proven that he can get you to the playoff with relative consistency. He's so underrated. I didn't have him on my list. Ooh, man. I, I, and it's not a shot at him. It's just not where I would go. It's just not where I would go. And, and he's 60. He's not 85. He's 60. He's won for a long time. LSU just paid a boatload of money. LSU just, I mean, LSU is, again, is a good, good program X example. And this is the guy that they threw a bunch of money at. Looking forward with him. I don't want to say that I think his best days are behind him, but you're not, because I don't think that. But you're not hiring on necessarily on what the person did, although, of course, that's important, but what you think they'll do. And I just, this isn't not, this is just not where I'd go. I don't, it's not fair. It's probably, I'm a bad AD. I figured this out, by the way. <laughs> Through this process, I'm all, I already know I'm a bad athletic director. But I think I'm just, I'm feeding into what you just said. For whatever reason, there are some people, some percentage, 20% of the people, and I'm one of them, who's just like, ah, eh, is that guy that good? And you're like, he won 10 games every year at Notre Dame and made the playoff twice. What are you talking about? So I apologize, but I just didn't do it. I mean, I think that this every conversation that we have just goes back to the similar trope, which is that you love the idea of what if, and I love the idea of they did. And I think that uh, I think that I'm sure that's going to show up on our list. Yeah. So, well, I'll make a note. Make a note um, to destroy me more for not having Brian Kelly on my list <laughs> on the Tuesday show. We'll come back to that. I do think there's one more guy that is kind of obvious. That probably should be next, but that's not who my pick is. So <laughs> this is my first one that's a reach. And again, I'm when I started to think about stuff, it's a guy that we've talked about on this podcast before. We, As ADs, we've talked about, hey, do you lean into offense, right? You got to recruit, and sometimes it can be easy to lean into offense here. So this is a guy who, at the program he was just at, they were the best recruiting team in their conference basically every year he was there. He's an offensive coordinator guy. He has been tutored by Nick Saban. 
and I think he's ready to pop. And I like this is why the paths are diverging here because it's not obvious to me. I'm taking Billy Napier. Wow. I, I thought I'd get him a little further down the board, to be honest. He's definitely on my list. He's fifth on my list because I think you know exa- I think you know that Dabo, Kirby, Ryan, and Lincoln can win at the highest levels. Everybody else, and I guess Brian Kelly, but I just I'm, I'm weird about him. Everybody else, you're making some assumptions. And I'll make an assumption about this. A guy who absolutely tore it up a Louisiana. And I think is going to recruit at Florida, I think is an offensive mind, and I think is a guy that builds culture and establishes a structure like Nick Saban. And to me, that's everything. And then if I'm if I'm rolling the dice a little bit on any kind of once you get to some level of unproven, I'll take this. Cause I think he's proven it. He just hasn't proven it in a power five job yet, but he just got one. And I think five years from now. We, it, it does. He might have a national title five years from now. So I just think it was a good hire by Florida. We talked about it at the time. We thought he was a good candidate for LSU, and this is where I think it gets a little nuts. I, I, where did you? Where was he on your list? Yeah, I mean, I, he was probably two or three more spots down. Like I think that there's sort of tiers, right? There's the tiers for me of like they've done it, they've proven they can do it, and I feel like they have a really good pathway to being able to do it again. And then there's like the I think that they can grow into doing it. And, um, you know, and, and I mean that for really any coach that hasn't already made the playoff, right? So, I mean, we're talking, you know, most coaches are in that tier, but he definitely was on my board. I, I definitely thought that I'd get him more around like the sixth round or the seventh round. I, I didn't think that he'd be picked up in the third round, but I like the pick a lot. I, I think I've been very clear that I'm high on, on Billy Napier as a candidate. Uh, and, and I think that more than anything else, he creates such an infrastructure in that program that, I mean, Dan Mullen wasn't doing that. You know, he wasn't doing that from a recruiting perspective, from an organizational perspective. The big thing with Dan Mullen is that he's really good at coaching offensive football. And when you're an SEC head coach, that's not at Mississippi State. uh, Being a good football coach is sometimes irrelevant. It's really more about talent acquisition and organization. Good news for Florida fans. Dan Mullen, again, was eighth on the sporting news list last year of <laughs> uh, the best coaches in college football. So you fired him, but you went up. You moved up to six. Look at six. that. Congratulations, Florida. All right. Seventh pick to you, Shahan. Who you got? Oh, man. I, I didn't think that this guy was still going to be here because I don't especially want to draft him. But I feel like I have to because I think he's the most obvious next choice, and that's Jimbo Fisher. Uh, Jimbo Fisher just put together the number one recruiting class of all time. Uh, so if you're talking from a pure talent acquisition standpoint, the Texas A&M is going crazy right now under Jimbo Fisher, and Texas A&M is very much a random program X, right? Like this is not <laughs> you're not taking over at Alabama uh, when you're taking over Texas A&M. So I think that he's proven he can build something. Uh, obviously the stability is a big part of it. Defensively, his teams are structured, I think, very strongly. The big question for me with Jimbo Fisher is, are you going to run an offense from the 2000s? Not, not even the 2020s, from the 2000s. Are, are you gonna, are you gonna update your offense to where you're asking a quarterback to do things that high school recruits are able to do at this point? Are you gonna ask wide receivers to do things that they're able to do at this point? But maybe they reach a point, uh, and I'm not, saying this is exactly what happened with Kirby Shore, but maybe you reach a point where you're just so talented that you have no choice but to be a contender. And if that's the case, I mean, I'd take Jimbo Fisher over the other guys on the list. 
So you're picking him seventh. He was also seventh on my list. And I, I think this is probably as low as he could go. Right. I mean, there's Billy Napier's a bit of a nuts pick ahead of him, but he he's won a national title somewhere. And now he just had the number one recruiting class in the country at somewhere else. So it's like, what, what else do you want? He can win yeah. and he can recruit. <laughs> and I think it's a good pick. And, and you could certainly justify that he would go higher. Okay. Number eight to me. Uh, this is maybe a reach again, a winner where he is has established something where he is. The program where he is is much better than it has any reason to be. But get hit leaping up to can you make the playoff would be a leap. But I don't think it's a stretch. And I'm going to take Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern. Oh, who, okay. Who was a guy that I always have high on my list because – not because I went to Northwestern. I'm just divulge that. It's like, it doesn't matter. I don't know anything about Northwestern football, but they should be horrible. They should be the worst team in the West. They should be the worst team in the Big Ten. The idea that they have won two of the last four West titles in the Big Ten is, is bonkers. It makes no sense at all. They've invested in the football program because of him, because they want to keep him. And I just think if you dropped him in to Michigan or Notre Dame or Texas, or Florida State, or a lot of these programs where he's been, you know, thrown in the mix for the head coaching thing, I think he would win. I think he's a good recruiter. I think he relates to kids. He's certainly a defensive mind first, but he has an idea of how he wants to play offense. And I, I think he's a culture guy, and I think he's, I think players believe in him and want to come play for him. So it's a little bit of a stretch, but I, I, I don't feel like a crazy person about it. Um, so. I assume he was on your top 20, but maybe not here. I'll take him eighth. He's one of the names that's just kind of floating around, right? Like, I, I probably have sort of 10 to 15 names that I'm truly considering. And then if we get past that, then I'll kind of go different directions. So he was kind of more in that, like, ethereal tier, where I didn't think that I'd necessarily have to pick him. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I'm pretty surprised by this. To me, I guess it's, He's much younger. I, I I do want to say that, and and that's a big part of it. So maybe he can evolve and he'll have more time. But like, it feels a little like picking Kirk Ferentz, you know. And and that's not a bad thing. Kirk Ferentz is a fantastic coach. But like, you kind of went off the top saying how you wouldn't pick Kirk Ferentz, right? Because uh, you know, he hasn't necessarily hit that top level. I, I feel like there's a lot of similarities between these guys, both in terms of uh, great program structure, well coached teams. Uh, definitely hitting above their weight. Uh, and, and I think that you can make the argument that Fitzgerald's better um, just based on Northwestern, not being even Iowa. Right. But, uh, but same sort of questions about offense, whether they're going to be able to, to kind of hit another level, even if they are somewhere else, you talk about them having an idea of what they want to do on offense. I think that that's maybe not a good thing at times because he's very protectionist of his defense. So I don't know. I, it, I'd love to see, I think that Pat Fitzgerald is a really cool coach and a really good guy, but I don't know if I see it. There, there are some guys too. I think there are guys on this list where they're such a good fit at their program. Right. How well would it travel? This guy's Northwestern through and through. There's a couple other guys on my list that I do have, but I think they're in a spot where they're currently maximizing who they are. And are we sure at good program X, they'd be that same level of culture? I think a coach, I think that's a reasonable question around Fitzgerald. So we, again, you can mark this down for you. Hate this pick for me. Um, <laughs> Come back to the Tuesday show for Apple Podcasts. You subscribe $2.99 a month to get the four Tuesday shows there. Ninth pick to you. 
Yeah, this is where I think that I'm really kind of uh, running into the abyss a little bit and not, not 100% sure where to go. So I am going to go off of our college board for the first time at a coach that I think could be gettable. It wasn't this cycle, maybe next cycle. I'm going to go with Matt Rule. I think that there's a real chance by next year he's no longer the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Uh, and and it is funny for me, right? Because I, I do remember him being hired at Baylor and kind of people being like, who is this guy? Well, everybody in college football knows who Matt Rule is now. Uh, I think that at a big-time program, I'd be very excited to see how well he can recruit. We saw some of those signs towards the end of his Baylor tenure. And then when you're talking about on, on field, right? I mean, he is an elite culture setter. He's somebody who uh, has great organizational structure. Um, I, I think that he has great vision for his teams. And I, it's no wonder that Oklahoma and LSU and Penn State and all these programs and Michigan, as soon as they thought that they might have openings, Matt Rule was one of the first names that they thought of. And so if the timing does work out a little better next year, I think that he could be a really strong hire. And I, I'd love to see what he could do at one of these sort of like top but not elite programs. I mean, he nearly made the college football playoff with Baylor. You know, they were an overtime away in the Big 12 championship game in year three with a roster that really kind of sucked at the time uh, from being in the college football playoff. But, you know, they just did such a good job of managing games uh, that, that they were nearly there. So I think that if they had real elite talent, especially that real elite offensive line talent, I mean, I, I think the sky's the limit for Matt Rule. And, and I think we may see this theory tested. I think you're right. I, I, I think he comes back. I know some reporters have been floated like if, Har- if Jim Harbaugh had gone to the NFL, would Matt Rule have been in the mix at Michigan? And again, it's late in the cycle. But this this would be – I think this this higher – at your press conference would do pretty well too. Cause it's like success in college, go to the NFL. I don't, you know, that the stuff in the NFL has maybe not gone as expected. I don't think that that would be huge baggage for no, him. No, no, no. So, I think that, I think that you get much more credit for hiring an NFL coach than you would for hiring a failed NFL coach because it's, I mean, people vastly overestimate how much Saban failed in the NFL, but like, you know, it's it's really more of a like, okay, well, he's a great college coach who maybe wasn't an ideal fit for the NFL. I think it's more of that than like a, you're hiring, I mean, you're hiring Bill O'Brien, right? You're hiring this guy who's like a true NFL washout. You know, I, I don't think that people would have that perspective at all. And again, th- this is the level of uncertainty that the ninth pick in our draft is the current, current head coach of the Carolina Panthers who once coached at Temple and Baylor, right? Which is, it's just... If a hundred college football fans did this exercise, once you get past the top five, your the list of twenty would be completely different from anybody else's. Which, which again, I found very interesting. I'm going to be nicer to ads. This is so much more because when you're trying to project, when you're not just relying on what they've done, and you want to, and I, I'm always like sometimes critical of ADs who who maybe seem like they're outsmarting themselves and they don't take the obvious answer. There are not a ton of obvious answers or that it's like, I mean, again, this is a guy who's not on my list, but it's like Paul Christ. Paul Christ is a consistent winner at Wisconsin that has a way of doing things. Like I'm not going to hire Paul Christ. No offense to Paul Christ. He's a consistent winner, like in the second or third tier in college football, but he's a Wisconsin grad. It's so tied to that. Does that translate? It's a certain style of football. There are enough guys who play certain styles that fit their conference, fit their program. Man, and and again, good team X. We don't have a lot of we don't have a huge history here in our program. We don't have a bunch of alums. We just started. The college just opened last year. 
in the pandemic. We opened the college during the pandemic and now front porch of the university. They want to have a football program, but we're invested in people believing it. I'm now to pick 10. I'm excited about this pick. Okay. Because this is way off the board. He's never been a head coach and he's not in college right now. But I think it would have a really good chance of working. And I think people would be really, I think there's sizzle and substance to it. I think people would be really excited. And I think there is a decent chance he would take the job if you were willing to pay him enough money. And, and here at Good Program X, we've got some money to spend. I'm going to hire Eric Bieniemy, Okay. The offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, who was the offensive coordinator at the University of Colorado in 2011 and 2012 before he went to Kansas City as the running backs coach, then elevated to offensive coordinator. Uh, after his playing career, we all know he played at Colorado, was a second-round draft pick, started his coaching career back at Colorado, then went to UCLA, then to the NFL, then back to college briefly. He's a guy that should be an NFL head coach by now, is not. It is like one of the main stories of every NFL hiring cycle. Why isn't Eric Bieniemy getting a job? And I think to say to Eric Bieniemy, dude, like the league is screwing it up, not hiring you. Here's your program. Here. Here's $9 million a year. Here. Here's a huge pool for your assistance. Here. Come win. Come be a leader. Come win a national title. Come make the playoff. And love that. Love it. And then also show the NFL, hey, you blew it on this guy. You better hire him now after his five-year contract is up here at Good Program X. So I, I don't think it's crazy to think that he would take a job like this. And with that offensive acumen, you sell Patrick Mahomes. You sell the the, the Super Bowl ring. You sell – I mean, kids, skill players, man, they want to go play for an offense that's going to be fun and is going to score points. I think this guy brings a, a ton of rep with this. This The resume is infallible. I mean, you can't argue against it. And he's over – 52. He's overdue to lead, man. I, I really like this pick. And, man, I, like I, I would be more inclined to go higher on this list with him than lower. I had him eighth, and I'm picking him tenth. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, that that's a great pick. And, uh, no, I mean, I think there would be a lot of excitement to hire, like you said, the, uh, the guy who was offensive coordinator to Patrick Mahomes, the guy who's coached under Andy Reid. I mean, you know, and I think the other thing too, right, is that, like you said, he has strong ties to college football. He's had success in college football. Uh, he obviously had success as a player in college football. I, I think that there would be a lot of excitement for whoever hires him because, everybody's waiting for this shot, right? Like everybody's been waiting for him to get this job and it just hasn't happened. I, I think that as a college coach, he could potentially maximize that. And not to compare it to like Riley, right? But like once Riley goes somewhere, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm an offensive player. I need to go play for that guy. I think that there would be a lot of that with Eric Bieniemy taking over one of these situations and just being like, hey, I really like this a lot. You know, I think that this is potentially an opportunity for us to, uh, you know, to go play for a coach who knows how to put together great offenses. And so I think there would be a lot of attraction with that. Obviously you'd need, I think you'd want to hire a really good associate head coach or something like that to be able to help him kind of transition into the college game again, because obviously the college game has changed so much, even just since he's left. But, uh, but I think that he has all the pieces, I think, to be able to put together a fantastic program. All right, pick 11 to you, Shahan. <sighs> do I do it? Do I go back-to-back -back Baylor coaches? I think I do. I think it has to be Dave Aranda. You're lucky you picked him because I was going to pick him next if you didn't. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think that what Dave Aranda showed going from year one to year two at Baylor is just in itself was one of the most impressive turnarounds, I think, in college football this year. Now, the, the roster, I think, was in a better place, but it was more changing his philosophy on the fly. It was saying, you know, what we did in year one really didn't work. We're not going to blame the pandemic season, which a lot of people did. Uh, you know, we're going to come in with new different ideas. We're going to look at the future of the Big 12. We're going to take what we learned and and try to get better from it. And so Dave Aranda checked all those boxes. They He led Baylor to their first 12-win season ever. He led them to their first Big 12 championship game victory ever. I, I mean, what more do you want, right, from a second-year head coach? Obviously has so much experience coaching at LSU, at Wisconsin, uh, you know, being one of the best defensive minds in college football, winning a national championship. He checks almost every box for me. The, the big question, I think, is going to be recruiting upside, but he still did recruit at LSU he was a big part of those recruiting uh, decisions and I think you just hire a very recruiting centric staff around him too if you move to a new place uh, I, I think that Dave Aranda has proven that he's one of the young stars in college football I think you look at the the jobs that apparently might have wanted him around the country this cycle and uh, I think that proves it he's 45 years old I think he takes a monster job in the next three years and I think when he does this is not why you would hire him but everybody knows this uh his roommate in college was Tom Herman. You, you, you don't need to bring him along, man. You don't need to do it. But wouldn't you, I mean, if you're going, like if you're Dave Aranda, I mean, so do, Tom Herman didn't work as a head coach. Tom Herman's a good offensive coordinator. I, I don't know that there's any dispute about that. If Dave Aranda's going to Florida State or Dave Aranda's going to Texas or Dave Aranda's going to Michigan or Dave Aranda's going to like a vets make the playoff for the next five years, I think you'd get Herman to come be the offensive coordinator for that. And, and, and you have Aranda's defense and Herman's offense. I think Aranda, again, Aranda probably should be higher on this list than lower. I think, because I, I think you could have argued, I think Dave Aranda would have been like a good pick in an exercise like this, like before he was a head coach, when he was the defensive coordinator at LSU, when he was a defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, because you could see it coming. And then he got his chance and it's like, oh, what did he do with his chance? It's like, he was awesome. So, <laughs> right. so they, they, somebody is going to come hard at him. One of the 10 best programs in the country is going to come hard at him with an offer he can't refuse sooner than later. And this guy very well might have a national championship ring in his future. I think this is a great pick. He was ninth on my list and he got picked 11th by you. So, um, okay. I'm very much in uncertain territory now. Like I was super fired up for the B enemy and Aranda picks at that spot. I would have been super happy with either of them. I'm now in. I feel good, but I could go a million different ways. I'm going to take James Franklin from Penn State. I could also put James Franklin like on a list of like overrated coaches. You know, I don't, but I think, again, we talked about this the other day. Penn State could be Nebraska. There is a world where Penn State could just recede because State College Pennsylvania does not have to be a place where great college football players go. But I do think he brings something to a program and if you when he was you know he was a name that was thrown out a lot for like usc it's like just give him like a little more a little more to sell not that penn state doesn't have great tradition but just give him austin texas to sell or give him columbus ohio or tallahassee florida or los angeles california give him a little more and this guy has really done it at Penn State in in like a a situation that I think we can sometimes forget 
not how difficult it is, but that it's it's not a slam dunk there anymore necessarily. So um, I could also have him not on this list. We're in a very malleable part of this list for me, but I think he probably deserves to be drafted here somewhere. So I'll take him here at number 12. Yeah, same, same sort of deal, right? I mean, somebody who might be completely underrated, might be completely overrated, depending on who you talk to. But uh, I think that around tiers, uh, around the right spot, like you said, I don't know what kind of job Penn State is right now. I, I was actually very excited at the possibility of him going to USC because I wanted to see sort of what that upside was. Now, they made a better hire with the guy who went third on our list, Lincoln Riley. But I, I still think that there's a lot of reasons uh, to believe that at a bigger place with more visibility, he could have even more success. And even even you look at this past class at uh, at Penn State. I mean, it was a top ten class, I believe. They got you know the the number one, number two quarterback on the board in Drew Aller. There's a lot of reasons to believe that his best coaching is still in front of him, and he's had some great coaching in the past too. So I think that there's definitely a pathway to him being a college football playoff coach. And uh, and the other thing too to, to throw on top of it is. You know, maybe you just play in the same division as Ohio State and you've got the Kirby Smart problem and that's really all it is. You know, so I, I think that James Franklin deserves a lot more credit than he's got. And, and I think that this is a completely fair place to pick him. I think he could be better somewhere else. Not that he's very good there. And and on the other hand, like, I think Penn State would survive without him. I always said, like, well, if, if James Franklin leaves, Penn State just hires Matt Rule or Luke Fickle and they're fine, too. But I, I'd like to see him somewhere else just to see what happens. All right. 13th for you. Yeah, yeah, this is a, whew, this is getting into interesting territory. I'll tell you that. Um, I'm trying to figure out how far off board I want to go or if I want to try to stay more on board. Huh. I, I'll tell you in my top 20, I have like three more pretty far off the board picks. So I'm, I'm curious how much more off the board we go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely have guys. Eh, we might as well start going off the board now. Okay. I'm going to go. I know he's old. I know he might not have many years of coaching left in him, but you talk about Pat Fitzgerald, the guy who's been doing that for years and years and not getting the credit for it is Kyle Whittingham. Kyle Whittingham might have a playoff team this year at the University of Utah. I, I mean, it, he has built something insane there. He's built an unmatched level of consistency out West. Uh, I, I think in a lot of ways over the past 10 years, you could argue that Utah's been the premier program uh, of the of the Pac-12, if you look at it kind of combined. He's done a great job there. Obviously, you never know how it's going to translate up, but take him to a place where it kind of recruits itself a little bit and then throw some of that formula on it, I think it could really work. So yeah, I'm going to go Kyle Whittingham with my next pick. Was not on my list of 20, but thought long and hard about it. Again, he's right in this mix. And I do agree. He's a little bit older, but that doesn't mean anything. And this guy could have jumped a long time ago. He's great at Utah. He loves Utah. But if you can lure him, uh, I think you've really got a shot to do something with this. And we're going to, we're getting to a lot of like, just pick your preference. These type of guys, they are good college football coaches. They've won. You don't know 100% sure what they would do when all of a sudden the goal is the playoff. Because that's the thing at Good Program X. We're saying we we want you to make the playoff for the next five years. Like if you don't make the playoff for the next five years, you're probably going to get fired. Like our standards are super high. So like that's not at all. Kyle Whittingham's never going to get fired where he is. And the guy that I'm going to pick right now I think is in a similar – he's a little bit younger, but it's a similar situation – if he wins the way he's won so far, he's never going to get fired, but he's not being asked to make the playoff. And I'll take Mel Tucker from Michigan State. 
And again, this is a guy who is a great offensive mind. You can't dispute that has been in the NFL, has been at Bama, has been at Georgia, but waited forever to get his chance as a head coach at Colorado for one year. Michigan state hires him. They're in the playoff mix this year, built on transfers. We have to ask, are we sure he can recruit in a way to sustain a a team that's supposed to make the playoff a good program X, but I'll try it with the, 14th pick you know and I think he's very similar to Whittingham I think it's this kind of guy it is an absolutely 100% rock solid dude there's there is nothing about Kyle Whittingham or Mel Tucker that ever makes you doubt them it's just do they have that another half step to get over the top at a play at a team at a program with a playoff standard you don't know until you try out but i'd feel comfortable i'd feel comfortable with either of these guys and i think these are two similar good picks here in this range 15 to you i think that people don't understand how far behind their rival oklahoma state is and i think that mike gundy gets really overlooked in these discussions because he's at a program that has no business being good whatsoever. You look at their history, they don't win 10 games. They don't compete for conference championships. That does not happen because they're Oklahoma State. Uh, in fact, I believe that the, the stat is that there are, before Mike Gundy took over as head coach, they only had two seasons, I believe, that uh, that were 10 wins. And I believe that both were when he was quarterback at the school. So, like... Oklahoma State is a terrible program. I, I just think people need to understand that. And Mike Gundy's had consistent success. I would be really curious to see what he could do at a bigger job. Now, I, I think that you don't want a Texas and Alabama where you've got all the focus on him because I think that he'd managed to have a gaffe and talk his way out of being a head coach. But, you know, if it's a Notre Dame or something like that, I, I think that uh, he'd have a chance to be really successful there and, and create playoff teams. And this is where we are. This is this tier of guys that we're in. He wasn't on my list of 20, but it's a great pick. Can't dispute it. Consistent winner. When we come back, we'll make the last five picks in this draft. And there are some off the board guys that that I am curious to see if either of us is willing to pull the trigger on. We'll do it next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Doug Maurice and Shurhan J. Haraja were hiring a coach at Good Program X to make the playoff in the next five years. The first 15 picks, Dabo Sweeney, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, Brian Kelly. That's the top five. Billy Napier, Jimbo Fisher, Pat Fitzgerald, Matt Rule, Eric Bieniemy, Dave Aranda, James Franklin, Kyle Whittingham, Mel Tucker, Mike Gundy. I'm going to go with this guy at 16th, and I'm curious why we haven't picked him yet. I think most people doing this draft would have picked this guy by now. And I want us to talk out a little bit why we haven't yet. And it's Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. What this guy literally, he just, he just so four guys made the question is make the playoff for the next five years. Four coaches just made the playoff. One is the guy who's so good. He's not allowed to be on the list. One is the guy who's number two on this list. And one is a guy who's just a little different, and it's hard to pull the trigger on Jim Harbaugh. Maybe he'll get picked, maybe he won't. But Luke, there's nothing missing with Luke Fickle, right? I mean, he's right. If we're taking Kyle Whittingham and Mel Tucker and Mike Gundy and James Franklin and Dave Aranda, what's the difference between Dave Aranda and Luke Fickle? They're like big-time defensive guys who then went to like programs that are like tier two, three, 
programs and were really successful. Why was Dave Aranda the 11th pick and Luke Fickle lasted to 16? Shahan, what held us back? So, I mean, again, some people, everyone's waiting for Luke Fickle to go to a big time job. Why wasn't he in the top 10 for us? Honestly, kind of simply that I wonder if he's geographically locked, right? Like, I, I kind of wonder this about Matt Campbell, too. I haven't picked him as yet. I, I wonder if this is a guy who fits a specific area very well. And I wonder whether that's transferable to the whole country. You know, if he if he goes and becomes a head coach at Florida, is it the same as knowing Ohio this well, right? Like, having this great skill set that, uh, that fits so well at Cincinnati, fits so well at Ohio State. If we're hiring for Notre Dame, I think that Luke Fickle's a great choice, right? Like, I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense. I just wonder if you're hiring for USC, would that have made sense? If you're hiring for whatever other program, right? If you're hiring for Texas. I don't know. I mean, it, it, and that's probably unfair. That's probably unfair. But he is somebody who has been so geographically aligned to one place his entire career. Compare that to Dave Aranda, who coached at Hawaii, Utah State, Wisconsin, LSU, now Baylor. He's kind of been everywhere, done everything, uh, learned a little bit from everywhere. Uh, like that's that's honestly one of the biggest things for me is I just I just feel like we know that Dave Aranda's transferable, and I don't know that we know that at this point about Luke Fickle. I think that's valid. And again, I think there there's some more potentially geographically locked guys on my list. I also think you could argue, why would I take Pat Fitzgerald eighth and Luke Fickle sixteenth? Those those guys might be the <laughs> yeah. exact same guy. Right. Yeah, and again, yeah. one guy just made the playoff and one guy's big accomplishment is losing to Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. Like like you know, so um I think this is probably too low for Luke, but I think what you're describing for why it is makes a lot of sense. Pick 17 to you. Yeah. And I will mention, I probably would have taken him before Franklin or Tucker. I, I think that I probably would have taken him ahead of those guys, potentially on, on my list, but at the same time, I didn't. So who knows? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I think that, um, so we're, we're down to the last two picks. I have a guy who I have locked in as my number 10 pick. Uh, I'll get to him in a second. I think I'm going to go with Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Um, somebody who I think is already in a short time already transformed Notre Dame in some ways. Obviously we are hiring for Notre Dame. So I guess, I guess I picked right. But, um, you know, I think that he's somebody in the short time that he's been here revolutionized our defense in some ways schematically on the field. Uh, we really saw the, the benefits of that in the latter half of the season. And then I think the other thing, too, that you say is that uh, recruiting-wise, they've competed for that top five type spot, right? I mean, they've moved into that top tier of recruiting. Not not the top, top tier, but, you know, the the top tier at least. And um, and that's something that they never really did under Brian Kelly. So I think b- between recruiting upside, obviously, the staff loved him. They wanted to be at Notre Dame. They wanted to stay with him. When you look at Tommy Reese and all of them, um, you know, I think that's a credit to him. And uh, and I think that there's a lot of reasons to believe that Marcus Freeman could be the sort of next great longtime head coach at Notre Dame. So you just picked him 17th. He was 16th on my list. The the hesitation, the only hesitation is this five year window that we have talked about because Notre Dame did not hire him for a five year window. He's 36 years old. He's never been a head coach. He was only at Notre Dame for one year, but he checks every box: defensive mind offensive um, football acumen people want to work for him right it seems like he's a great leader 
played college football. I, again, I know Marcus decently well, and he's a he's a tremendous person. So that I mean, he checks every box. He's just so young. If at Good Program X, we're a little ugh, we're a little more hyped up about man, we got to win right now. Five years, Marcus. We're not going to fire Marcus after five years. But if our president, our president, he's a she's a nice woman, but she really wants to win a football national championship. She has a spot reserved on her mantle for where it would go. So she wants one. She does not want to wait six years or eight years, 36-year-old Marcus Freeman. She wants one in five years. She wants to show her grandkids where, look, you know, grandma's university won a national championship. So because of her, we're just our time frame is to me why I had Marcus 17th, where if we if we ease the time frame a little bit, I think he might he could be a top 10 guy because the, the potential is so great. The potential is so great. All right. We're to pick 18. And as you said, this is like the last picks we get to make. So I'm going to skip uh, three guys, four guys that I actually have ranked higher. And these were the guys who were the last two names on my list before I got to like the big group of other guys I would consider. But these are both huge upside swings. And I, I want to at least get one of them and hopefully both of them. And so with the 18th pick, I'm going to take Deion Sanders. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and listen, the guy has already changed the game. He's changed the game in college football I- immediately at Jackson State. He he is you drop him in your fish tank and all the other fish have to react. But this guy knows football. This guy this guy knows how to lead. Like I as this guy is tremendous sizzle, but I I don't think he's lacking substance. Maybe over the long term, I don't know just cuz we don't know. But the upside there, can you, if you gave him, and again, this is like the little, he stole Florida State's recruit, and it's like, why doesn't Florida State just steal him? There's a chance here, Shahan. I don't even know what the comparison is of, have we ever seen someone in college football who was that good of a player, that much of a high-profile personality, who then became a head coach in a major program? I'll swing here. You you could take... Jay Norvell. I like Jay Norvell. But man, if it's really between Jay Norvell and Deion Sanders, I'm going to take Deion Sanders. I'm swinging, Shahan. And my president, she likes it. What do you think? (laughs) You definitely could have taken him with the last pick because there's no way in hell I was going to (laughs) pick Deion Sanders. Um, Here's the thing, right? Like, he is recruited at an insane level for that program. And I think he'd be able to recruit very well at the collegiate level in his first couple of years. But I don't think he'd be able to recruit better than Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Jimbo Fisher or those, those types, uh, Ryan Day. I, I don't think that would happen. And I know that he can't out coach them, to be quite honest. Uh, you know, just based on what we've seen in college. I mean, if you watch the celebration bowl, you know, he got his, he got his ass kicked by South Carolina state. You know, that, that bothers me. That worries me. The fact that he had an insanely more talented team and got destroyed. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, sure. Fine. Yeah. Uh, you do you. <laughs> mark, mark this down. Mark this down. We'll have a bigger <laughs> Dion discussion on the Tuesday show. All right. We're each down to our last pick. You have one. You have a person earmarked for this that you've been waiting to pick. Who is it? Yeah, uh, 
if I'm Auburn University, the fact that I haven't made this hire already is just proof of my own ineptitude. Because all Bill Clark does is win. All he does is win. I mean, he took over at UAB back in 2014, and then they shut down the program, and then he came back even better. That doesn't happen. You know, he won the conference championship in 2019. He made three straight conference championship games from 2018 to 2020 at UAB. Uh, there's no reason that UAB should be an especially special program in Conference USA. They have a lot of disadvantages versus several programs, uh, most of which are the University of Alabama literally trying to shut down your program every single year. He's somebody who I do think could be transferable. He's somebody who builds a great culture. Uh, he's had success on both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, which is, you know, which is very encouraging to me. He's somebody who I think deserves his shot, and I think that he'd do a lot with it. All right. I thought you were going to, that's a very solid hire. I thought maybe you were going to, you were like, I got somebody earmarked. It's the UAB coach. I was like, what? <laughs> well, I knew you weren't going to pick him. <laughs> we, no, no, no. I was not. Uh, we think different. We think different. All right, so I'm going to say these are the people that I actually had ranked ahead of the person that I'm going to pick with my final pick. Uh, Kalani Sataki from BYU, who, again, is like a real dude, um, is so perfect for BYU. Would it be the same somewhere else? I don't know. Same like Pat Fitzgerald, but I'd be willing to find out. This guy seems like he's got it. Lane Kiffin, now that Lane Kiffin's been through the recycling bin a couple times, I think he's learned a lot. And if he was at a top 10 program where he really could recruit, I, I would actually be curious to see it. Uh, Brian Flores, who is currently filing a class action lawsuit against the NFL, feels like maybe they're not going to hire him uh, anytime in the near future. I thought he was – I think he's an excellent coach who got in a weird spot with Miami Dolphins. Uh, I would – all right, Brian, you're, you're a leader. You're a head coach. There's no, you're a good head coach. Nobody disputes that. Where are you going to be a head coach? Come here. Come to Good Program X. We're going to give you an opportunity. I think he'd be great. And then Brent Venables, who I do think is going to work at Oklahoma. But I'm not picking any of them because I'm picking Urban Meyer. <laughs> he was on my board. He, he was. I, I considered him, and I was like, anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I considered him for sure. You just have to get past everything. It's like everything. Other, <laughs> other than everything – He's a great choice. So, so like, what does that mean? Like, he, he's, he's behind Nick Saban in this era of how to win in college football. No, if he, if he was still the head coach at Ohio State or wherever, like, he'd still be number two ahead of Dabu in terms of people's best coaching list. He would. So he, you know, the Zach Smith stuff, everybody would have to consider, but he survived the Zach Smith stuff at Ohio State. And then what happened? What happened with the Jaguars? It's like, okay, what happened in the, the restaurant in Ohio, off the field, awful. I wrote a column about that. I, he's, I can't believe he did that. Did he kick a kicker in warm-ups? Okay, you've got to get past that. But as it turns out, he was just he was a, an, off, an awful fit from head to toe in the NFL. So if you can get your president and your board of trustees and your fan base and the parents of your players and everybody else just say, that's not him. He lost it there because he he was lost. He was out of his element. We're putting him back in his element. When we're down here and you're swinging, if you can get past it, I don't know, would people cringe at all while you were doing it? I think he might get you to the playoff, though, and you might have a trophy in your office for a national championship within five years because what the guy does as a college football coach 
very few, uh, nobody other than Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney can match it in this era. Yeah, I mean, like you said, if you can get literally every person to not hate it, which is no given, um, I, I think you would win. If, if you are, I mean, if, if you're at one of those programs, and I won't name them, but like, if you're at one of those programs where winning truly is everything, right? Where it's just, just put a successful product on the field, we don't care. Uh, sure. You know, I mean, I think that, I think that Urban Meyer is as close to doing that as, as anybody. The question that I, the thing that kept him off my list, was that I do think that there would be at least some level of university retaliation if I, if we were to hire Urban Meyer. Um, and the other thing too is just, I don't know whether players would trust that guy at this point. I feel like he might be completely damaged goods at this point, but if he's not, I mean, you can't, you can't argue with this coaching acumen. And then one other thing that I'll say too is that I'd be curious to know whether he learned from bringing Ryan Day on board and like, truly sort of modernizes and keeps with the times in terms of offensive schematics. But I mean, you know, obviously he's one of the guys who's done it. Uh, I, I think that you'd have to at least consider, you know, like a same sort of deal, like a Mac Brown for that same reason to be somewhere, not in your top 20 necessarily, but maybe in your top 30. Like if you've won a national title and you've had success other places, that's something, you know, that's, that's really something. So, um, other guys, by the way, that I, that I did have on my list, I had Venables on my list as well. I had Matt Campbell on my list, ultimately didn't pick him. And then, uh, to go kind of more off board, I had Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina. I'd love to see what he could do at the Power Five level. I had Jonathan Smith, the head coach at Oregon State. Oregon State is a terrible program. Like, there are no advantages to being in Corvallis, Oregon, and he's turned them into a very solid team, and I think that he'd have a lot of upside other places. I think he has a lot of upside uh, just being at Oregon State, too. I'm curious to see what they do. Uh, and then Dave Clawson over at Wake Forest. Dave Clawson runs a sort of a not gimmicky offense. He, he runs a very unorthodox offense, and I think that there's a lot of people, of course, some of those top-level type, folks who, who would be like, we don't want to win that way. We'd rather lose than win playing the kind of football that uh, that Dave Clawson plays, and they will be worse off for it, and they will lose. <laughs> you know, and so I think ultimately, though, Dave Clawson, I'd be really excited to see what he could do with elite-level talents. Thought about Dave Clawson. Uh, he didn't make my top 20, or my other others mentioned. Jay Norvell, Jonathan Smith was on my list for that. Justin Wilcox from Cal. Um, PJ Fleck from Minnesota. Uh, Mario Cristobal, who I do think was a great hire by Miami, I, I think he legit, very legitimately could be in the top 20. Uh, Tony Elliott, Clemson offensive coordinator, a lot like Venable, just hired at Virginia. Lance Leipold at Kansas, people love him. High-level winner, curious. And then my way, way, way off-the-board guy, um, Willie Simmons, the head coach at Florida A&M, who has won big there, uh, is about 40 years old, started off his college playing career at Clemson. And uh, it feels like a young up-and-comer to me. Again, if you want to take a swing and get a guy on the way up, I thought he was an interesting name. Fine, then. Uh, if you're going to pull from the FCS, you know what? i got to drop my name then, too. And that's uh, that's Colby Carthel, the head coach at Stephen F. Austin, who won the Division II National Championship at Texas A&M Commerce. He's going to turn SFA into some killers, and he's going to be an FBS coach before too long. Also a guy in, I believe, his early 40s. So keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on him. All right. That's our list. 20 guys we'd hire for Good Program X. We have more to talk about with this. I think we want to talk. I think there's some good conversation. We use the names to say, what are you really looking for? What does it take? What When we look at the teams that have made the playoffs, and like we didn't pick Jim Harbaugh. 
Why don't we pick Jim Harbaugh? Didn't even talk about him. Why didn't we pick some of these other guys? We'll do that on the Tuesday show on Apple Podcasts next week. For now, thanks for listening to this Wednesday version of the College Football Survivor Show. For Sean J. Haraja of CBS Sports, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.